Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com. So you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. It's Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. I want to welcome you to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. For what I know, you will find to be an extremely interesting an inspirational episode. This is part two of what turned out to be a great three-part interview with author and composer and music writer David Combs, and as we discuss his book, Touched by Music. And But it's also about one of the most famous wedding songs and inspirational songs ever written, Rachel's Song. You've probably heard of it if you've been at a wedding. Now, for those that missed part one or any part of it, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to part one as... David was sharing all about how Rachel's song actually came to be. It is truly interesting. Uh, to, just to hear his story about the story of Rachel's song. Amen. Now, we're going to jump back into this interview now as I asked David how he's able to promote Rachel's song after he had it published. I mean, he didn't have a, a huge publishing budget, but yet it grew to... oh. Just an amazing proportion so fast. It's, it's truly, this idea is truly inspired by God, and it's just going to blow your socks off. I guarantee it. All right, let's jump into the interview now with David Combs. Hey, so, I, so I had to find somebody to hear this song. I, and I called my wife, of course, from the okay. hotel room. But I didn't have any way to play it for her. All I could do was describe it to her. And she, I was so excited. She thought, man, I don't know what he's on, but he is, he is really excited. So, but so I hung up with Linda. I said, I'll play it for you as soon as I get home. And so I couldn't sit in my hotel. I was as, just as nervous as a cat. I had to get out and do something. I went to the local Circuit City store in the shopping center, hunted me up a salesperson, and I said, I've got a cassette tape here, and I want you to play on the best sound system that you sell in this store. He said, okay, let's go over to the big, the big expensive stuff. He put it in there with the big speakers. I said, turn it up. I want to hear it. So he did. And all the customers in the old big Circuit City stopped. <laughs> what is that music that's coming out of that room over there? So I realized this song, not only did it really affect me, everybody that heard it, the salesperson, everybody, all the customers, they loved it. So Amen. anyhow, Praise God. I, I get Amen. back to finally make it back home that weekend to Winston-Salem and played it for Linda. She absolutely just couldn't believe it either. And we both of us looking at each other like, you know, this is it. But what is what are we going to do with this? What is it? Like, yeah. <laughs> we have just found a diamond here. Well, now what are we going to do with it? It is just amazing. I had a, a good friend, Bob McHone, who I was having lunch with on another whole issue, uh, matter. And uh, at, at lunch, I was describing to Bob this recording of Rachel's song. Well, of course, <laughs> I, he is a, he's a radio personality. He has his own radio program on Saturdays. He plays big band music and, you know, is one of those that knows everything about the, the jazz big band music. 
And I was telling him about this song, and he says, Dave, <laughs> I got to hear this. So he said, let's go to my office. I've got a boom box we can play it on. And he said, I want to hear this. I said, okay. So we went over to his office, put it in the boom box, and I can still see Bob to this day. We're just me and him in this little office room, and he's got Rachel's song is playing on the boom box. And he's sitting there, and he's got his eyes closed, and I hear him go, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. You know, that universal <laughs> approval sound yeah, yeah. and tears are coming down his cheeks. And when it finishes, he says, Dave, this song will be a standard. I can tell you right now. He said, you have got to let me play this on my radio program. I said, OK, all I have is this one little reel to reel master tape. So it's the only one in the world. So take care of it. Yeah. So I loaned it to him. They made a copy of it at the radio station. <clears throat> he played it that Saturday morning on his radio program. And when he announced that he gave it a great introduction and, and my wife and I were home listening to it on the radio, of course, and I had my tape recorder running. So I, I still have a copy of that. And the first time I'd ever heard my own music played on the radio, it's terribly exciting. Mm -hmm. And then he plays it. And in a few minutes, the phone rings and it's the station manager for the WKLM radio station. And he says, Dave, and he introduced himself and he said, when Bob played Rachel's song just now on the radio, you won't believe what happened. He said, I've been in radio for over 20 years, and this has never happened to me before. He said, I, on our phone bank, you know, we've got 12 or so phone lines that people can call in on. All of them lit up just like that. He said, people were calling in saying, what is that song you just played? Would you play that again? Tell me more about Rachel's song or this Combs guy in Winston-Salem. So he said, Dave. You have got something here that is super special, and I just wanted you to know. So there was another confirmation yeah. that, you know, that, that this gift from God had started to sprout and was really taking off a, on a life of its own. Yeah. Well, how did you get it to, to go nationwide? I mean, usually it's difficult for recording artists to, to do that, you know, mailing out hundreds of tapes across the country and, and all that. How, how did you get it to be picked up by all these different radio stations across the country? Well, it was, you know, I'm a, I'm an analytical person. I'm a math major, physics minor. I have my MBA from Wake Forest University. So I'm a very business oriented, analytical person. So I figured there's got to be a way to figure this out. And so I did locate a publication called Radio and Records. I think it was R&R &R back in then. And they had a, a booklet that had all of that you could buy that had all the radio stations in the entire country by format and phone numbers, who was the program director, who owned the station, all those kind of things. So I bought that book and I started calling around to easy listening radio station. Now, that's that's kind of a dinosaur these days, because <laughs> I think there, there may be three or four left in the entire country. But back then we had like, was like 400 easy listening radio station. Every major market had an easy listening station. Mm -hmm. And so I started calling and I would tell them about the song. They say, well, send me a copy and I'd, I'd send it. Ah, we love it. They put it right in their programming. And then I'd call some stations and they'd say, well, Dave, we don't do our own programming. Our programming is done for us by this company in near Chicago called Bonneville Broadcasting. Oh, okay. Well, who, who do I talk to there? <laughs> so they gave me the name of the program director for easy listening programming in Bonneville. So I talked to him, told him about it, and sent him a copy of Rachel's song. He loved it. He absolutely loved it. He, he called me back and he said, Dave, 
This is a great song. I'm putting it in rotation on all of our easy listening stations. Amen. And I said, well, how many is that? And he said, it's 200 and some. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so I go from just a handful to instantly all the big markets Praise around the country. And the doors just opened. And then all the radio stations wanted to play Rachel's song. It became the number one or two top charted song in major markets all across the country. And it was in Los Angeles, Atlanta, uh, Philadelphia, Chicago, New York, all these places. It was their top song. So I was so blessed to have that as my way to get the song out to people. And then I started getting something that really led to really even led to eventually my book. And that is fan mail. I started getting letters from people that would hear like today they would hear your podcast or that. Then they'd hear the radio. They'd track me down and call the station, get my phone number or address because it was always on my record or they, they had it with the song. And they'd write me these wonderful letters about how much my music had touched their lives. Now, if, you know, if Saul had been alive, I'd probably got a letter from Saul that said, <laughs> Dave, your music that David played on the harp last night helped me sleep. And this evil spirit left me. Yeah. So, you know, it was those kind of uh, affirmations and wonderful stories that were just super. I mean, they were just wonderful. And Amen. so I knew that God was leading this song and me in the right direction here because I was getting the feedback from all these people. Well, then you so, had to put it into the stores. And, and when you first attempted to put it into Christian stores, <laughs> eh, it didn't turn out the way you thought. But uh, no, <laughs> you tell I, us how you discovered your own market that it yeah. taken any music nationwide. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I, I was very naive. I thought that they were all really interested in a, a great sounding song. And I thought a song would sell itself. If you hear the song, they're going to want to sell it or play it and sell it. Well, that you're right. That was not the case. These businesses, even the Christian music stores or the Christian stores were very, very much business oriented. And I wasn't a well-known Christian artist. I wasn't even in the popular uh, the record bar, or the record stores. I wasn't a Michael Jackson or any of those big name people. So they didn't, they wouldn't even give me the time of day. Some of them wouldn't even return my phone calls. Mm. So, I was so disappointed. And there's one of those cases where you don't let things get you down. You just find out that, okay, if there's a roadblock, I just don't, I go over it or under it, around it or through it. Somehow or other, I'm going to get on the other side of this. So, and I'd like to say it was my idea. But then again, it wasn't my idea how this worked out either. You know, God works in mysterious ways. Well, I was working in West at AT AT&T in Bethesda, Maryland. And the lady whose office was right next to mine loved Rachel's song. And she knocked on my door one day and she says, "Uh, Dave, I have a friend who owns a gift shop. And I would love to give her one of your CDs of Rachel's song for her to play in her store. I said, oh, sure. Great. So I gave her a CD. And so she, she did. And the name of the store was called America. And it's in Old Town, Alexandria. And she sells everything red, white, and blue. Anything patriotic is in there, you know, the flags. And, and then she plays patriotic music you know, over the sound system. I said, okay. Well, she gave it to her. Well, in a couple of days, I get a phone call, and it's the lady who owns the store. She said, hey, this is Jane. I own America, and uh, I have a problem. She said, everybody that hears that song playing in my store comes over to the counter and says, I want to buy that and take it home. 
And she says, I don't have any. <clears throat> Can you help me? I said, well, sure. So we arrived at a wholesale price and agreement because I'd never sold it at retail in a shop before. I hadn't gotten that far. Mm-hmm. So she said, okay, can you bring them to me tonight? I said, well, yeah, I, I can do that. So boxed them up a box of CDs and cassette tapes. I tail it down to Old Town Alexandria that night and go upstairs. Her store was upstairs and on King Street and gave her this box of CDs and tapes. And so I thought, well, okay, this is great. Well, three or four days later, Phone rings again. Hi, this is Jane. I got another problem. Those are all gone. I need some more. And how about doubling the order this time? And can you bring those tonight too? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did that. And when Linda and I made that trip to Old Town Alexandria for over a year, wow! every week we'd take Jane a box of CDs and cassettes. And you know, she sold thousands of albums out of that one little store by playing the, the music in there and it just sold itself. You know, the people heard it, they want to take it home. Well, you know, it didn't take too long for me to, f- I keep really good record. I have from the very beginning, kept good records of how many, who I sold what to and all this stuff. So I had the data and I kept noticing that, you know, this one little shop, her sales numbers were getting on up there. And then I said, okay, I'm going to make me a spreadsheet and I'm going to put in that column. How many, cassette tapes and CDs she sold and how much I sell them to her for and what it costs me for each one of them. The difference is my gross profit. You multiply all that out and down at the bottom is my total gross profit for that store. Well, that's a pretty good attractive number. It's getting looking really good. And then when I said, okay, I only got one store now. What if I had one gift shop like that one in every state? Just one. Let's not get greedy. So, Make another column in my spreadsheet, column one times 50. So you mul- let the computer multiply all that out. Wow, that number is looking really, really good. And then I said, okay, let's not get totally out of line here, but let's say there's just five gift shops in every state. It's a big country, lots of gift shops, total of 250. So third, column three is 250 times column one. And I get down to the bottom gross profit number, Linda, come here. Come here. You've got to see this number. Look at this. This is two or three times more than I make it work. Look at this. So both of us got terribly excited because we then saw the, the connected the dots real quick that what we had to do was to find replication of that one gift shop as many times as we could. Yeah. And so I, we got busy. I mean, we started with shoe leather. We called it shoe leather marketing. On Saturdays and Sundays, we were out in the, in yeah. the countryside looking for gift shops. We'd go to every little tourist town we could find and walk up and down the streets, pop our heads in the gift shops and listen to see if they were playing music. And if they were, I'd approach and talk to them and leave them a CD or a tape of Rachel's song. And so we, we grew our gift shops really by shoe leather marketing shoe leather yeah amen we had i had probably maybe about 25 or 30 of those pretty quickly that we grew it up to and so that was that was great but then we we ran out of territory that you could comfortably drive to in a weekend you know (laughs) there's a there's a limit to shoe leather marketing (laughs) physical limit so Linda says, well, you got to start calling. You just got to call these places. I said, no, I wasn't too sure about that. I felt like 
I needed to look them in the eye and I needed to see the shop and, and all this. And she says, no, you're not going to be able to do that. So let's figure it out. So we lived in Bethesda, Maryland area. So downtown D.C., of course, is the Library of Congress. In the Library of Congress is a, was, I don't think they still have it, but it was a room that had all of the phone books in the entire country. The alphabetical. It was, it was literally a big room with shelves of phone books. So I could go to any town I wanted to, pull that book out, make a Xerox copy of the Yellow Pages for gift shops, which is what I did. And they take all those copies, go home. And then on Saturday and Sunday, when the gift shops would open at 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturday and then Sunday afternoon, I would just start calling and ask them, do you sell any tapes or CDs of the music that you play in your shop? And they would either say, no, we don't play any. Thank you very much. Hang up and go to the next one. Or they'd say, yeah, we play music, but we don't sell it. And then I would get launched into a, a routine of, of, well, to have do your customers ever ask you about the music that you play in your shop? And some of them would say, yeah, they do. And I've, I've thought about possibly. And I said, well, let me send you a sample and let, let's talk about it later and see what you think. So I'd send them a, a sample packet. And occasionally I would find somebody that actually did play and sell the music they played. So that was my routine. I made so many of those phone calls that my phone bill came in a box, like a shoebox size. <laughs> <laughs> this is back in the day. You remember yeah, when they, oh, every, yeah. every long distance phone call was itemized on yeah. your, your bill and it was printed out on a little piece of paper. It was a box full every month. Now I did. I worked for AT and T, so I did get a slight break on the long distance charges, which our young people today said long distance charges. What's that? I don't yeah, know exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but back then, you paid by the minute, you know, yeah. or a tenth of a minute. Actually, it was by tenth of a minute that you paid for your long distance. So anyway, so I eventually grew my business from uh, up, up, up to several dozen. But what really put it in high gear was I was having to make 30 phone calls to get one customer. That's not a lot. That's not a very efficient way yeah. of prospecting. Yeah. One in 30. I hear no 29 times before I'd hear a yes. Yep. And so I knew the pattern that I saw pretty quickly was that the best success I was having was in tourist towns. The big city towns, the big, big uh, metropolitan areas, not much luck with them. But in tourist areas, those were the ones that were, and I think it was because they were largely privately owned, you know, owner operated, and they were business people. They were always looking for a way to increase their sales and whatever. And so I was having be much better luck with them. But I didn't know where all these tourist towns in the country were. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, I, I knew about North Carolina, Blowing Rock, or Tennessee, <laughs> Gatlinburg, or you know, Occoquan, Virginia, or, you know, Newmarket, Virginia, or Maryland, places like that. But I didn't know about, you know, Oregon or California yeah, or other yeah. places that I'd never been to. So I thought, well, surely the Department of Commerce or somebody has a list of tourist towns. You'd think that in as much data as we've got, there would be a list somewhere of tourist towns. Mm -hmm. And uh, I called them. Nope. They did not have any such a list. So I, I got to thinking about, okay, what do I, how do I do this? And if you stop and think about it, what are the characteristics of a tourist town? You only really need two pieces of information. How many gift shops are in that town? 
There's like Gatlinburg probably had like 75, 80 gift shops. I mean, every, about every shop up and down Main Street is a gift shop. Mm-hmm. And then the second piece of information you need is what's the permanent population of a tourist town? Mm-hmm. Not very many. I mean, it's a small town, really. And so you think, well, you know, if it's a small town with a small population, there's no way that many people can support that many gift shops. There's got that ratio has got to tell you that that's a tourist town. Yeah. I said, okay, well, I need those two pieces of information then. So first thing I need to know is the uh, how many gift shops are across the country and everywhere. Back then, I found out I could purchase from the Yellow Pages people a mailing list on a computer printout of all the gift shops in the entire country, 75,000 of them. I got a printout that was, oh, it was about this thick on the big, you know, that big wide green striped paper, computer paper, and it had every gift shop, and it was sorted by alphabetical within town, within state. Perfect sequence for me. So I took that printout, and I manually went through and counted the number of gift shops by every one of those towns. And I wrote that number in a spreadsheet. I had, a, you know, the state, the town, and then how many gift shops. Well, it took me many days to go through that big printout. Yeah. And then I said, okay, I need now I need to know the population, the census population of that town. And I, you know, if you want to learn something like this, you go to your local library, right? Librarians know everything. And if, if they don't know it, they know where to go get it anyway. So across from where I worked in Bethesda was the public library. Went over there at lunch one day and told the librarian what I was looking for. And she says, oh, oh, I've got just the thing for you here. And I have it right here beside me. You're going to laugh at this. There's this book. This This thing weighs 12 pounds. And it's the Rand McNally Commercial Atlas Marketing Guide. And inside this book, you're going to really laugh. There's maps. I mean, detailed maps of every state with every little crossroad in it. But the best thing it had back in the back by alphabetical is the every little crossroad, the census tract, and the population. Oh, wow. So all I had to do was find that the name of the place that I just looked up. Well, well they've got uh, 1,800 people live there. Okay. Put, so I went through my whole database with that wow. help of that book Put that in the in my, my my spreadsheet. Then I said, "Okay, computer, make me a, a rate. Calculate the ratio for me." And so, bingo, you know, boom, like that. You got the ratio. Now sort that sort the thing, alphabet, not alphabetical. Sort it by that ratio. I want the lowest number at the top, and do it within the state. So every state would have start with the the town that had the lowest population per gift shop at the top. Mm-hmm. Tennessee, Gatlinburg, North Carolina, Bowen Rock, right at the top. All the ones I knew, right at the top. Oregon, you know, different places. But I didn't even have to know for sure that was a gift shop. Uh, that was a tourist town. Guarantee it. And sure enough, wow. I started calling just those places. I start on the East Coast and, and Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, and I'd call you know, from Florida to Maine, up Tennessee, Louisiana, Alabama, all those places. Then as the time got, got later in the day, I'd start in the central time zone, start calling those, and then the mountain, then the Pacific. 
And there again, I was making tons of phone calls, but I was really this time, my hit rate, I would get one, about one in five or four, sometimes even better. It it was just amazing. So I would, instead of having a, a handful of prospects, by the end of Sunday night, I'd have a carload of packages that I had to take to the post office Monday morning of prospects. So I know that's a long story, but it's, it's a uh, fascinating story of how you can think outside the box and think about using, we call it big data today or data analytics and all those kind of things. Back then it was just to me, I was just connecting the dots and trying to help myself out. But that's how I ended up over a thousand gift shops over the whole country. One over a thousand. And that's when, and by 1992, my business had grown to the point where my, I was making more with music than I was at AT&T by a factor of about two or three. I was able to quit my job and do my music full time. Amen. And I never will forget that one Sunday morning when I was trying to decide, when do I go to my boss and say I quit or, or I, you know, I'm resigning and going to do my music full time. And I was sitting there in church. First Baptist Church here in Winston-Salem, and the church, the service hadn't even started yet. The organist was playing, and and I'm thinking, how am I going to know? And by know, I meant how will I really know that I'm doing the right thing to when I'm supposed to resign? And all of a sudden, it hit me. That week, I had gotten a letter from a fan that said, Dave Combs, Writing music is what God put you on this planet to do. Mm. Sand signed his name. And I thought, my goodness, here I am, and I've gotten thousands of letters like this, and I've been praying maybe for the lightning bolt to strike or the thunder <laughs> to roll or the, bu- burn, the bush to start burning, all these signs. I wanted a sign to, to tell me I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. All along, I said, good Lord, you must think I am the densest Christian on this planet. Here you've written me thousands of letters to tell me what you want me to do, and I have been looking somewhere else. Okay, I got it now, Lord. I'm ready. (laughs) So that's how I finally finally got to my decision about quitting my job and doing my music full time. That's awesome. That's awesome. That reminds me, you know, when I got called to do what I'm doing, I was a police officer and and had been injured and was going through a lot of different surgeries and stuff, and and, uh, they were talking about possibly retirement and I was you know, praying, Lord, what is it you want me to do? I, it's, I'm, I'm getting <laughs> too old to keep starting over all the time. And I was at a minister's conference and it's about, you know, they're going to take a break like 1130, 1145. And it's winding up right about that time. You know, it's like 1115 and I'm sitting there listening to the speaker and someone leans forward from the seat behind me and says, begin a weekly 30 minute online radio program. I turned around to see who it was. There was nobody there. Oh, right? and I was like, "Oh, wow. Okay, that's weird. That's just weird." Yeah, yeah. And listen, and then the speaker got up there, and he goes, "So if God gives you, if God has something special for you to do, He's going to make sure you know. He could tell you to go start your own radio program or something." Like, oh, no way. <laughs> but, but that so affected me when they broke for lunch. I went out to the car and called my wife, you know, I said, you yeah. won't believe what just happened, you know? Yeah. Uh, and now here we are, you know, 12, 13 years later and, and, 
you know, praise God. Amen. Amen. Yeah, hundreds, if not thousands of episodes later, here you are. Yeah, exactly. A thousand. We're coming up on almost 1,100 episodes. That's just for the podcast, not counting the radio station. You know? Yeah, right. Hey, folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time again today for our fabulous interview with David Combs as we've been discussing the story of Rachel's song. Now, I don't know about you, but I am totally in awe of how God not only inspired David to write Rachel's song and how it came to be recorded, which was episode one. Today, we learned about how David was able to get it promoted and available for purchase, which, once again, I'm just inspired by how God inspired David to do it, basically organically, amen? That was absolutely awesome. Now, be sure to come back for the conclusion of this three-part interview as we're going to be discussing David's book, Touched by Music, a bit more. Amen. I know you've been blessed thus far, and David does not disappoint in the conclusion of this interview either. Amen. Till next time, it's Pastor Bob Ryan, and you be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.